If you could turn in your copy of God's Word to the third chapter of the book of Galatians. It's going to be an experiment. I got a new microphone today. This is going to be fun. Uh, while you're going to the third chapter of Galatians, uh, did any, any of y'all ever watch Georgia Public Television at all? I love Georgia Public Television. I always have. Um, you know, I was a I was a kid. I was I was a nerd watching Nova when I was like eight, uh, because my mom loved watching Nova, and I loved my mom, so I wanted to watch Nova. Uh, but it took me the majority of the rest of my relatively brief life to find my favorite show on public broadcasting, and that is the joy of painting with Bob Ross. Um, have y'all ever seen this man? Um, his hair is legendary. Um, but what made Bob Ross famous was his painting technique. That was what made his show what it was. That's what gave birth to the very famous phrase, happy little accidents. We don't make mistakes, we just have happy little accidents. Because when he painted a canvas, he would take the canvas, and I've, this is my dream to talk about Bob Ross right now. This is great. You'd have a canvas... And he would take what's called liquid white or a gesso finish and he would put it over the canvas and start painting on it while it was still wet. So you've got the rest of the oils and you'd put up there and you know, he'd, you'd have this beautiful scene and then he'd be like, you know what, I want to put a tree there. <laughs> There's a big giant tree straight down the middle of his painting and you're like pulling your hair out. You're like, how are you? You have this beautiful scene and you ruined it. But then... He'd go, oh, well, you know what, I don't, I don't want that there. And he'd scratch it out, or he'd turn this into this, and he'd turn this into that, and he'd change it, and he'd change it. And the, the miracle of the show was it just it kept changing. It was so easy to change, and you get to the end of it, and you're like, how did that man do that in 30 minutes? And you just you watch, and you watch, and you watch, and it's always the same thing. It was the, the miracle of changing it. And he would always tell you that's the beauty of painting with this method because when you're painting a regular painting, you can't change it this easily. You know, you put your canvas up and you put your paint on the canvas and I don't know, maybe you did this at vacation Bible school as a kid or maybe you got really bold and wanted to paint with oils or something when you were, you know, an older adolescent or college or an adult. When you put that paint on that canvas, it's on there. It's not moving. There's no such thing as a happy little accident. It's immutable. It's immovable. It is unchangeable. And when it came to Bob Ross, it being changeable was a good thing. That was a comfort. But you know what's a comfort that it doesn't change? That's a comfort that it doesn't, that it doesn't change. We've been working through the book of Galatians... And Paul has been having to correct this church by telling them, hey, the gospel I preach to you is the only gospel there is. If anybody comes and preaches a different gospel to you, it's not because the gospel has changed. It's because they didn't know the gospel in the first place. They're not a blessing to you. They are a curse. Reject it categorically out of hand. If anybody preaches to you a different gospel, they are accursed. Refuse them. But then some folks had come along and they're not really even preaching the gospel. They're preaching the law. 
And Paul lost his ever-loving mind when they started doing that and said, we can't have this. And he goes into a long explanation, uh, capping off the end of chapter 3 as to why we as Christians do not need to be obsessed with the legalism that is the Mosaic law or rule-keeping, check-boxing, waking up in the morning with your checklist, yes, I prayed this morning. Yes, I read my Bible this morning. No, I did not cuss yet. <laughs> and check in your boxes as you go through the day. And as you check more boxes, you feel closer to God. As you fail to check boxes, you fall farther away from God. And Paul has to say that this is all a sham. This is not Christianity. Christianity has to do with the finished work of Christ on the cross. So Paul is going to hit one of the high points of his argument this morning, and I want us to see that Paul tells us we can find comfort in the unchangeable promises of God. So if you will stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word, we're going to read verses 5 through 18 in the third chapter of Galatians this morning. <clears throat> Brethren, I speak in the manner of men... Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise." But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Father, we thank you for your unchangeable promises. And we thank you by your grace. You have given us the ability to be grafted in to the family tree of Abraham through Christ. And to be recipients of all your promises. That we have a land to look forward to. And nothing can take that away. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The unchangeable promise of God. Doesn't that make you comfortable that God's promises don't change from day to day? That you can depend on those. Uh, I want us to look at just two points today. First, I want us to see that God's promises are guaranteed to the offspring of Abraham. Uh, you know the song from when you were little. Father Abraham had many sons. Yeah, we're not going to sing the whole song, but you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, you got really excited, didn't you? You thought we were going to do it. Uh, you know the song from when you were little. The fun song, theologically accurate. Um, I am one of them. And so are you, so let's all praise the Lord. Well, we're going to talk about what makes us children of Abraham this morning. We're going to talk about the fact that God's promises are only guaranteed to the children of Abraham. Uh, so look at verse 15. Paul says, Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. What does Paul mean by saying that? He, he means he's not saying he's speaking, you know, outside of his capacity as an apostle. He's not saying that this scripture carries any less force than any other part of the Bible. What Paul is saying when he says he speaks in the manner of men is he's going to, he's not going to speak in a parable. He's going to use an example from the, the normal daily life that the Galatians would understand. Uh, this is something that everybody would have understood at the time. So he says, I speak in the manner of men. This is something you're going to be used to. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. What is Paul talking about here? This is not necessarily <clears throat> uh, explicitly biblical law. Saying this is, this is the way that covenants worked. 
This is the way that legal testaments, last wills worked. That once a covenant, once a testament, which by the way, that's all testament means. Testament's another word for covenant. Once it was confirmed and legally ratified, it was immutable. Nothing could change it. It was definite. So Paul is saying, even when it's a human covenant, even when it's a human last will and testament, no one changes it after it's been ratified. It is what it is what it is. This is not attested in either Greek or Roman law, but there is an Old Testament scholar with the name Bamel, isn't that a fun name, um, that has pointed to a procedure of Jewish inheritance laws known as, get ready, I'm going to butcher it, Matnat Beri, by which a person could make an irrevocable testament to another prior to death. It was precisely this kind of legal transaction that Jesus alluded to in the parable of the prodigal son, where the father had prematurely divided his property between his heirs, an act all the more momentous because it was unalterable. So the father and the prodigal son, if you want to reference that, you can find that in Luke 15, verses 11, 32. If you want to go look, make sure I'm not lying. Um, when the father gives the inheritance to his sons or divides it out, that inheritance is what it is. So when the, the, the crazy son, the one that we're all like, um, takes his inheritance and goes off and spends it, guess what? His inheritance is gone. He spent it. He's not getting any more. Dad's not going to divide his other brothers and give him some of it so that he has something. No, the covenant was unalterable. You can remember this if you remember the parable at the end of it when the older son comes back to him and complains what, does, what percentage of what the father has does he tell the older son is his? Everything that I have now is yours. Your younger brother has spent his inheritance. The covenant was ratified. It was unalterable. Other instances in the Bible where you can find these things happening would be Jacob and Esau. If you want to see the, the appropriate verses, you can find those in Genesis 27, 33 through 35. Y'all remember what the little mama's boy trickster Jacob did, right? How he, he listens to his mother who wants him to be blessed instead of his brother and they pull the wool over his father's eyes or maybe pull the wool over his father's son so that he doesn't realize who it is that's talking to him. And so he, Jacob goes in to his father and his father who's aged, who's blind and whose hearing is suffering. He lays hands on Jacob and he feels the skins. He thinks this is Esau because Esau's hairy. And he smells gamey like he's been hunting. And he blesses him. And he tells he leaves all of his inheritance to little, little boy Jacob. And then Esau comes in. He's been out hunting. And he comes looking for his blessing who has been given to Jacob. And as soon as Isaac... Hears him say, I'm Esau. Isaac panics. He gets very nervous. In verse 33, Isaac says, Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? 
Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. Even then, even the deception of Jacob, the covenant that Isaac made, the last will and testament was unalterable. It had been ratified, it could not be changed. You can argue all day long about whether or not that's fair, whether or not Esau was silly because he gave it up, or whether you can say all you want. The testament was final, it was ratified, it was unalterable. And then finally, at the end of Jesus, Joseph being upset about how his father is going to treat Ephraim and Manasseh. Uh, this is so sweet. Joseph has been in captivity. Uh, he's risen to the second in command of Pharaoh. And he finally, his family comes back and his father says, well, who are these? And Joseph says, these are my sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. I want you to, to bless them. So in verse 17 of Genesis 48, Jacob lays his hands on Joseph's sons, but he crosses his hands and lays his right hand, which is the, I guess for some reason it was the more blessed hand, lays it on the younger son, and his left hand, the less blessed hand, on the older son. And he's getting ready to, to give his blessing. Verse 17, now Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim. It displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head and Manasseh's head. Why is Joseph upset? Because he realizes that if his father blesses them like this, he can't undo it. It's unalterable. And Jacob tells him, no, I know what I'm doing. Leave me alone. Unalterable covenants. This is a lesser to greater argument. When Paul tells us that even a man's covenant can't be altered, he's making the lesser to greater argument that says if it works this way with men, what makes you think it's not even more so with God? That if a man's covenant cannot be changed, don't you think when God makes a covenant, it's unalterable? It cannot be changed. It does not matter what happens. It does not matter what occurs. When God utters His Word, His Word is final. There is no court of appeal. There is no way out. In verse 16, he says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Made by who? God. God made Abraham promises. You can sum up the Abrahamic blessing in your head with three words. Land, seed, blessing. I will give you a land that will belong to you and your descendants in perpetuity. Nothing will ever take it from them. I will give you offspring so numerous that they will outnumber the sand on the seashore and the stars of the sky. But then specifically, well, let's get to blessing. This is the last one. After Abraham is told to offer his son on Mount Moriah, long but great story, God stops him and says, Now that I know 
You have not withheld your son from me. Your son, your only son. Blessing, I will bless you. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God makes this covenant with Abraham. He makes the promises to him. And then Paul gets really conservative Baptist and says, let's break down the grammar of this scripture, shall we? God says, and to, he does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed. When God promised Abraham, I'm going to bless all the nations through your offspring, through your seed, he did not mean through all of your children. Through your seed. Anybody got seed with a capital S in your Bible? You want to know why that S is capitalized? Because when God made that promise to Abraham, He's saying you are specifically going to have one offspring. You're going to have many. But through one of them, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now Paul does the interpretation for us, and he says that one seed is Christ. So God makes the promise to the seed of Abraham which is Christ, that you will have all the land. You will have children too many to number. You will bless all the nations through you, offspring of Abraham, that that promise is immutably made to Christ and to all those who are in Christ. That is why it is essential. Do you want, do you want to die and go to heaven? Do you want heaven? Do you want the guarantee of the promise of God in your... Do you want the guarantee that God is willing to bless you and not curse you? To love you and not judge you? To guard you and not be at war against you? There's one way to experience that blessing. To be part of the family tree of Abraham. And there's one way into that. Be identified with His chosen offspring, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Period. Full stop. Well, wait a minute. This, we live in a pluralistic society, and don't you think it's arrogant to think that maybe, the, I mean, you Christians are so exclusive. You know, you say Jesus is the only way. Well, what about all these other people that believe this or this or this or this? Are you saying they're going to hell? Yes. I am. I'm not trying to be rude. The gospel is both the most exclusive and the most inclusive thing in the world. It is the most exclusive because there is no other way to God or the, there is no other way to receive the promises of God other than Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how sincere you are as a Hindu, a Buddhist, a Sikh, a, a, a whatever you might want to be. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. The promises that God gave to Abraham, which by the way, our promised land is not somewhere in the Middle East. My promised land is the new heaven and the new earth that no one will ever take from me. That I will never experience a war in the new heaven and new earth. I'll have an immortal king who rules forever in perfect righteousness. That is my promised land. I am one of the innumerable children that outnumber the sand on the seashore and the stars of the sky. I am one of those children because I am in Christ. I am in that family. 
And I am one of all the nations who has been blessed by the offspring of Abraham. And you can be too, if you will come to Christ. But that's the only way. It's that exclusive. And it's that inclusive that there's not a person sitting in this room that can't have that blessing. Every single one of you, you can have it. If you'll come to Christ. That word is unchangeable. Now, how ought you to apply this? This ought to give you peace when you lay down your head at night. That the words of God, the promises of God are unalterable. That if Christ, the one who has invited us to come to Him, the one who identifies so much with us, that when He said, you fed the hungry, you visited the prisoners, you, or you, you fed me, you clothed me, you gave me water to drink, you visited me when I was in prison, you visited me when I was sick. The one who identifies so much with His people that when His people look at Him and say, when did we see you in these situations? He says, if you did it to the least of one of these, mind you did it to me. He identifies with us on a personal level. If you are in Christ like that, then you receive the promises that God made to Abraham in Him. And that covenant is unchangeable. Romans 11.29, Paul says, For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Nothing's going to take that away. How many of y'all were, if you were in Sunday school this morning, you studied Corinthians, right? Yeah, it was said in our class, if the Corinthians can make it, anybody can. For the life of me, I'm going to insult somebody, but I'm going to do it because we're in Stapleton and I can say it. Um... I've never for the life of me understood why churches name themselves Corinth Baptist Church. (laughs) Like you would pick like Philadelphia Baptist Church. You know, you would pick one of the churches in Revelation that Jesus didn't have anything bad to say about. And you pick Corinth? They're crazy. Not the people at those churches, the people at that church. Y'all listen. You're going to have a day where you royally screw up. You might have several of those days over the course of your life. And you know what? The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. You can have peace in that. Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Do you know that part of God's word is that he has not lost a single one of the ones his father has given him? Not a one. That includes you if you've called on Christ. You don't know what I did. No, and I don't want to. You know who does? God, and he loves you anyway. He saves you anyway if you call on him. In 1 Peter... Uh, 1, 22 through 25. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and the sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of what? Incorruptible. Through the Word of God, which lives and abides how long? Forever. Because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures 
Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. If you have believed in the gospel, you can lay your head down on your pillow at night knowing that nothing, not height, no depth, rich, poor, sick, well, bright, dark, healthy, unhealthy, nothing is ever going to take your salvation away from you. Say, well, I will stand my ground literally until the day I die on perseverance of the saints. You cannot lose your salvation. And I, if you want me to prove it, I'll use my Bible. That's why I'm confident. You cannot lose it. You can rest in the promises of God. And second, almost implicit in the first, if, you can, if God's promises are guaranteed to the offspring of Abraham, which you can be if you are in Christ, God's promises cannot be undone by our failure. You can just breathe a big old sigh of relief. Anybody in here got some failure maybe you brought in with you today? Just a little bit. Yeah, I got, I feel like I got a never ending supply of failure. All of us have, have some failure. Aren't you glad that your failure doesn't remove you from the promises of God? Verse 17. And this I say. That the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. Paul's a really interesting argument here. He said, I want you to think, believers, back to when God made this promise to Abraham. You know that Moses was 400 plus years away? The law was 430 years away. God did not look at Abraham and say, Okay, Abraham, if you obey these 600-odd-something rules, I will give you land, seed, and blessing. God said Abraham believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It was a promise. It was an unconditional promise. That's key to Paul's argument. When Paul says, God did not put the requirements of the law on Abraham for Abraham to receive this blessing. Well, then what did Abraham have to do? Nothing. God did it. God did it. And anybody in here who has a testimony of saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ can look at me and say, here's how my salvation works. God did it. I didn't earn it. I wasn't good enough. I didn't do enough good things or not do too many bad things to earn it. No. God did it. God called me out of my sinfulness, out of my muck, out of my mire, out of my undeservedness. He called me to this place called Calvary, where finally, in the mind of my heart, I saw His very Son crucified on a cross that I should have been hanging on. Dying a death that I should have died. That if every single one of us in here is honest with ourselves, we know in our heart that that cross should have been ours. We should have died. We should have suffered. We should have ended up dead and in hell. And truth be honest, that's exactly where every single one of us deserves to be. But why am I alive today? Because God's a gracious God. 
Why do I have the guarantee that when I die, I will not find myself in hell, but I will find myself in the presence of the God of the universe who loves me and calls me His Son because He's a gracious God who provided a way for me to have that relationship with Him. The law that came after that promise cannot undo that promise. Say, wait a minute, then why is the law even here? Come back next week. We're going to talk all about that, but that's not the point today. The point is that I'm not going to tell you what the law is for yet, but I'm going to tell you what it ain't for. That's bad grammar. That's good theology. The law is not for your salvation. That's not what it's there for. The law is not meant to annul the promise. The blessings given are based on promise. Verse 18, if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of the promise. If the law is what was needed to be blessed, why did God make the promise in the first place? But if God made the promise in the first place, the purpose of the law can't be to guarantee what He's already promised you you're going to receive. Say, well, wait a minute, Josh. You're telling me that God's going to bless the children of Abraham even though they screwed up? Yes, I am. And i got Bible to prove it because I'm a Baptist and that's what we do. Exodus 32, 7 through 10, and then 13 through 14. Picture in your mind Mount Sinai wreathed in smoke and fire and quaking with the fear and terror of the presence of God that is descended on it. The children of Israel, having just come out of Egypt, are, are around the base of the mountain, and Moses has walked up to meet with God and receive the law. That God's already proven to His children His power by bringing them out from under the hand of Pharaoh. And Moses is up there receiving the tablets of the Ten Commandments, full-on Charlton Heston, commandments written by the finger of God. He's going to bring them down and show them to the people. And he has not so much as gotten the tablets in his hand when God says to Moses, Go, get down for your people. Uh-oh. That's like, go get your child. My Aren't we two parents? No. Go get down for your people who you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord says to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people, and then this ought to terrify you. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. When God doesn't call you by His name anymore, He said, your people, who you brought out. And Moses is probably sitting there thinking, didn't I tell you I didn't want to do this? How are, they, how are they my people now? And God had just literally written, probably not five minutes before, Thou shalt make no graven images. Thou shalt have no God before me. He says, now as soon as I'm done writing it, they've already broken them. Go down there. Get out of the way. I'm going to light them on fire and start over with you. What's Moses' response? To God saying, I will destroy them all because they have violated my law. 
What's Moses' response? Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. What did God do when Moses said, Remember your word. Remember your oath. So he relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Don't tell me this is a New Testament idea that the law can't supersede the promise. It happened 15 minutes after God gave the law. The law had not even existed for more than 15 minutes. And God has already proven in Exodus that this law does not overrule the promise that I made to Abraham. And if God will not wipe out the children of Israel 15 minutes after He gave the law, God will not wipe out somebody who has faith in Christ 2,000, 3,000 years after the giving of the law. You come to Christ, you're free from that curse. But let me tell you something else. If you're not in Christ, you are not free from that curse. The blessings of Abraham do not belong to you. Imagine if the only covenant they had with God was the law. They stood at the foot of Mount Sinai, devoid of any promise to Abraham, and Moses goes up, they break the law, Moses would have had nothing to say to God. God would have said, get out of the way, I'm going to consume them, and Moses would have had to say, okay. But thank God for the promise. What I want to offer you today, an in invitation, is, 